<laughs> yes, I, I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm going to say it again. I mean, I there are a number of agents in this office who have had better first quarters than they've had entire years. I'm one of them. I've never been busier in my in my since last summer. I've never been busier. Uh, you know, something happens sometimes with this. Um, I just went to a wide angle screen. Did you notice that? On some people's anyway, uh, I have to adjust myself. Well, all right. Um, hey, look, uh, perfect. I've never been busier in my in my real estate career since last summer. But uh, um, and actually, uh, the first quarter last year before the pandemic, I wrote a lot of business. I mean, more than I ever had in the first quarter. And I thought, wow, my year is going to be incredible if this is the first quarter of twenty twenty. And then, you know, most of those deals ended up falling through in some way or another. And, um, uh, but this but yeah. year they're picking. Sorry. This year they're sticking. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Um, I had a record sale in Fort Greene a few months ago. Um, uh, it's it just, you know, I, I, and, you know, people are, uh, I don't say coming out of the woodwork, but I'm getting, the rate of people who are reaching out to me now to uh, help them in buying and selling is greater than it's ever been in my career. I've been doing this for 14 years now. Was the Fort Greene transaction a townhouse? It was, it was a uh, one and two family. Yep. Nice. Scott, how are you? Scott's muted. It's always good. It starts muted. That probably helps prevent a lot of embarrassment. And stuff. But I'm doing great, Roberta. Yourself? Good. 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 Michael, good to see you. you. I'm okay. I'm good. Good. <sighs> so it's, fun, it's funny you should say that. So a moment ago, Michael said that um, in his 30 years in the business uh, and 150 real estate cycles, he's never seen a year quite like this. It caused one of our viewers last week on this show, who's trying to sell his place on the Upper East Side, 72nd Street, to call me up after the show and say, why is my place not selling? And so I, I asked Roberto, why is his place you know, not selling? Um, it's a problem because he's not the only one. If your place is not selling and you're getting headlines from the real deal that's a frenzied market, bidding wars, whether you're out here in Connecticut or in New York, you feel like, why am I the only one missing the party? Probably has to do with price. <laughs> if, um, if, 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 if they study the Urban Digs website and take a look at the negotiation factor, apartments that are priced correctly sell within 4% of price. Properties that, are, that need three price reductions sell at 87% of price. It's all about pricing. All about price. What and and the seller's losing money and they don't know that they're losing money. They're losing, they're, they're losing a, a 9%. From 96 to 87%, they're losing 9%. On a million dollars, they're losing $90,000. So... Um... Okay. <laughs> Hello, Tammy. Good to see you. You're muted. You're, you're muted. 
Hey, how are you, Jeff? Last time I saw you, I think we were in D.C. Yeah, we were at uh, the RIS Media uh, Awards dinner. Yes. Indeed. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I mean, relatively, all, you know, all things considered, you know. You know, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good to see you. Hi, Michael. Hi, Tammy. How's my BFF? I'm sorry? I said, how's my BFF? Every, everything's good. Wait, well, where are I, you? you? Know, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, pshaw. No, it, it, hey, listen, to be on the Engel Cabrera show is, is a compliment. Well, I wouldn't know. Well. Oh. <laughs> oh. I, hey, she took my straight line. You know, she, I set her up good on that one. They, they teased me with something and then I got bounced for best, I think. <laughs> Hey, listen, that, that that's not an insult. No, I agree. I agree. At least if I was bounced for somebody, it was for best. I mean, that's a, that, you know, I can understand. I, I could understand all of us getting bounced. Yeah. Wait, are you at 408? I'm at 408. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Michael. Oh, my God. I love you. I miss you. I miss you and I love you. Hey. Hi, guys. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk, but I'm saying hi. <laughs> Juliet, are you on your street? Hey, how are you? Are you on your What's street? I am right in front of the school. Yeah, that's what I thought. Ooh. Do you see my school? Yeah. Is that the Allianz Francaise? No, this is the uh, Manhattan Day School. Okay, okay. Yes, and I'm going for a walk right now, so I'm going to walk and listen to you. Jeff! Hey, Juliet. Hi, I shamed her. I, I shamed her into watching. I, no, I, I, I said, I, I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be embarrassed if we don't have a big turnout. Oh, <laughs> oh please! And I see Anaconda's no. on too. Hi, Anna. Anna. Hi, Love Bug. Hi. She's, she's muted. Uh, she, Hi, she's Pat Harbison. Oh, this is so great. Hi, Michelle. Come, Serena from Darien. All right. Tammy, I heard that we may end up having a uh, an anniversary reunion in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. Really? Are you going? No. Oh, okay. I've I'm not. I, I, okay. I'm just not. I'm just not quite ready. Je yet, Jeff, so. Jeff's going to be on a Jeff's going to be on a panel. Oh, you are. Yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. Hi, hi, everyone. Hi, Roberto. Hello, how are you? Hi, Tammy. Hey, hi, honey. Hi, love. I, I, I unmuted and un whatever videoed myself just for you, Tammy. Thank to you. Say hello. I, I always loved seeing you. Completely unrestrained. I know. Sorry. Sorry, John. We're just <laughs> we're taking Anna, that over was a, your show. Anna, that was a great program on Tuesday. If I didn't email you and say how great it was and thanking you for, for, for putting so it all good. together, thank you. Oh, it was, it was you're fabulous. so sweet. Juliet put it together. I did absolutely no. nothing. Oh, baloney. You just I did nothing. So I did nothing. Other right, than just have fun. Okay. John, Jules is going to mute herself now. I'm muting myself too. I'm sorry. I love you. Bye. Bye. It's 4.03, and I just heard Michael Goldenberg say in his entire career, He's never seen such a year. And with that, I think we have to start the show. This is episode 25, Neighborhoods of New York. We have, last week, we stayed entirely uptown. Today, no holds barred. We're going all over town. We're gonna to hit Manhattan's neighborhoods with two experts, Jeffrey Goodman, 
uh, host of the popular Rediscovering New York walking tours, showcasing the city's great neighborhoods, culturally and historically, although we may ask him a few math related questions. And since we're realtors and we care about the implication on real estate values, we'll be relying on Michael Goldenberg out of Columbus Avenue to break down the numbers district by district. So with that, um, I'm gonna turn it over to Roberto and you can, you can begin the, the New York tour. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for being here. So let's just, I mean, let's, Michael, you had, you had proposed a structure. Let's just start with that, okay? Okay, so, you know, Jeff's gonna talk a little bit about the history of how this island got formed. I wanna talk about a little bit more about today. And because I am most knowledgeable about the West Side and I know a fair amount about the East Side and I live downtown, I'm gonna use the West Side though as, as an example. Neighborhoods grow because of anchors. The 90s on the Upper West Side got good last, okay? Now, it moved up from the 60s from Lincoln Center and it moved down from Columbia University. So actually the hundreds got better, okay, west of Broadway before the 90s got better. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it. You would think that the hundreds would have been the last to get better because it was further, it was the most furthest north. But because Columbia University was the northernmost anchor, when you look at the Upper East Side, though, the 90s got, be got best um, last. The hundreds took years because there was no northernmost anchor on the Upper East Side. There was Mount Sinai Hospital, but that was on Fifth Avenue. And that was the extent of it. North of 96th Street, you had a lot of city housing. You had East Harlem. East Harlem was the, was the last part of Harlem to improve. So you need anchors in terms of a neighborhood developing, okay? The other thing you need is you need infrastructure. People, people need services and people need what they need in order to live there. This is why, and we'll discuss it a little bit later when we get into the numbers, but this is why Murray Hill, okay, is not a three bedroom market, okay? This is why Murray Hill is a studio and a one bedroom market because the people who live in Murray Hill are younger people who wanna be close to work, okay? Who don't cook, there are no, there are very few supermarkets, okay? And it is, and, and, and that's what that neighborhood is geared to. So you need anchors, you need infrastructure. And that is really the formation of, of a neighborhood, okay? That's why you had, in, in the village, you had NYU, you had Union Square, you, you had Union Square. And that's really the formation of neighborhoods in this city. So Jeff, why don't you start with, with long before well, I want to before add, there was a neighborhood. Before there was a neighborhood, all right. Uh, well, first I want to say, you know, Michael, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And one of the anchors that's important to have is transportation and good transportation, not just the bus, but the subway. In fact, if you look at how neighborhoods got developed, um, it was frequently after uh, public transportation and, and relatively 
convenient and quick public transportation uh, access the areas. That's the, uh, the story of so many places from um, uh, East New York, where my great grandparents moved in the first decade of the last century when they opened up the BMT and there were still farms out there and they started developing it to uh, the Grand Concourse that was that was built when uh, um, the Jerome Avenue subway, now the four train was built up there to um, to the Upper West Side, which uh, 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 the Upper West Side um, along Broadway really got built up uh, a lot after the opening of the Interborough Rapid Transit. Um, and that actually was different from, uh, uh, there was an L train on Ninth Avenue. Uh, and so there was a lot of development uh, uh, in Central Park West and Columbus up to Amsterdam, but a lot of the, uh, the residential development uh, from Amsterdam to the river didn't take place until after the, uh, the subway. So the subway was a really important part of that. Um, really briefly, you know, we all know that uh, uh, New York was founded by, New Amsterdam was founded by the Dutch. And um, there were actually two cities in now what we have New York, really. There was uh, New Amsterdam and also Brooklyn. And uh, the city grew, both cities grew, especially after the Erie Canal was opened and New York became an incredible transportation hub in the 1820s. That's, by the way, what made us the Empire State. And as population boomed and immigrants came in, uh, what's called the line of settlement to Manhattan ended up going farther north and north. And so what you also had was you had uh, uh, moderate income housing and decent housing. And then as more immigrants came in, the pe people got richer and people with more money slowly moved north. So for example, uh, uh, where uh, around the Bowery and Third and Fourth Street, that was considered you know, ritzy housing back in the 1830s. And then when that got crowded and that changed, uh, then Gramercy started to develop as, as, as the nicer area. And then, and then the, the really nice housing kept moving uptown. And, that, and that's just a function of history in this, in this, in, on this island for like 200 years. Jeff, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you just mentioned Gramercy. What's the only private, what's the only private park in New York? Well, it's Gramercy Park. Well, at least in Manhattan, there actually used to be two, Michael. One of them was Gramercy. The other one, which predates Gramercy, was uh, the old Hudson Square, which became known as St. John's Park, which is where the Lincoln Tunnel exit roads are now. Uh, when um, uh, the King granted that to Trinity Church centuries ago, uh, it was developed and that was the first private park. Gramercy was the second. And, and how Gramercy is, still remains. How has Gramercy maintained that designation? Uh, I, um, I believe it's written into the deeds that when uh, Ruggles, who developed it, and by the way, when he developed that in the 1830s, uh, when he started to develop it, that was marshland. You know, people didn't live there. There was watery, there were mosquitoes, you know, but, but he came up with a plan and he bought uh, part of a farm and then he, he drained swamps. He moved, you know, wagon load after wagon load of earth. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, uh, Manhattan was an incredibly hilly place. The word, the name uh, Manhattan comes from the Lenape Manahatu, which means the island of the hills anyway. And he developed it and, and uh, subdivided into lots. And he was very inspired by similar um, uh, development in, in London. So he actually uh, deeded, I forget which organization it was, but he deeded the, um, the care of the park to some organization. And then all of the uh, people who own lots around the park actually maintained a right to use it. I don't know for how long or if in, per, in perpetuity, but that's how, that's how it gets started. I think it's in perpetuity. I, I, read it, I read something about a year ago about the encumbrances that are on the deed, and they are incredibly stringent. That park will always remain private. Yep. 
So I have a question as an outsider, and we got a lot of outsiders, you know, on the call. But when I look at this, do people come in and say, I want to live in Gramercy, I want to live in Chelsea, I want to live in Greenwich Village versus I want to live in Soho? It, it occurs to me, um, one of the points Michael raised before our call was names matter. And so I'm wondering, well, how much does the name matter when it comes to price? Meaning I'm in I'm in the neighborhood or I'm just outside the neighborhood? How much does it matter? That's a great, John, that is a great question. Because if you would have asked me that question 30 years ago, okay, I would have told you that people had a specific desire to live in a specific area. People who wanted to live in the village would not look elsewhere, okay? People who wanted to live on the Upper East Side didn't think the Upper West Side was safe. Today, it's become a little bit more, a little bit different. Um, the flavors of the neighborhoods have merged a little bit more. When I say that the names of neighborhoods matter, you know, there was a time when there was a flower district in the city, okay? And the flower district was approximately, and Jeff will correct me because he'll, he'll, be, he'll tell you what the real boundaries are. But the flower district was like 6th Avenue and it was like 20... 8th to 32nd Street. I don't think any of us have heard the Flower District. It is now either North Chelsea or it's just Chelsea. And the reason for that is Chelsea is more expensive than what the Flower District would have been. So it no longer became the Flower District. Okay, 34th Street and 7th, 36th Street and 7th Avenue, 25 years ago was what? It was the Garment District. We haven't heard the garment district used, okay, in, in 30 years. The garment district went out, it, it went overseas, it went to North Carolina, it went out, okay? Now it's Midtown West or it's Hudson Yards, okay? Names matter because, because of valuation. People, um, also names try, can, people also try to cluster themselves into the more affluent neighborhood or the neighborhood that has the better name. I can remember working, uh, Mark Friedman and I worked with Bradley White and, they, and he had a client who wanted to be in Tribeca and Tribeca that he was talking about was really like Hudson Street and North Moore and that area. And he was showing them something that was closer over to Broadway, closer to Chinatown. And Bradley said, no, 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 that's Tribeca stand. Like that's not really Tribeca, that's Tribeca Stan. That's not, but now that has started to merge a little bit further towards the east and is a little bit more proper Tribeca. Ab absolutely, just like Soho, is it okay? Moved, moved west. Van Dam Street was never Soho. Van Dam Street is now Soho. Yeah. Is it you know, Michael? Michael, I, Michael I'm sorry to uh, uh, have to correct you on this, but. Uh, now that evolving neighborhood of West Soho is now called the new Hudson Square. In fact, I'm having an event in 13 days, a virtual tour online with Joyce Gold of that exact neighborhood. And, and that, again, that's very, Jeff, that's very interesting because, because Hudson, Hudson Square has, has become a destination. So now it has that, that new name, like Nolita, north of Little Italy. So what I hear is the Lower East Side, if it's structure, infrastructure, or is it name, the Lower East Side needs a better marketing department because these other these other places are, are getting their marketing departments organized and they're like, oh no, we're not the garment district anymore. We're Hudson Yards. 
the Lower East Side needs some of that. Well, you know, it may have, but I, again, I got to disagree. Sorry, O-esteemed colleagues. Uh, but the Lower East Side has such a cachet now. I, you know, I don't know that I can afford to live on the Lower East Side and buy the, buy the place that I want. But, you know, one thing I was going to bring up about neighborhood naming, you know, it, it can work in the other direction, too. Do you all remember when Hell's Kitchen became Clinton? No. Does anyone, do, do real estate salespeople use the name Clinton anymore? I haven't heard the name Clinton in years. I mean, maybe it is on some sites, but, you know, people like Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen is happening. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's cool. There are new developments there. So, uh, you know, and neighborhood monikers can go in both directions. But one thing also that's happened, you know, I used to live in a place that's called East Harlem, according to Street Easy now, it's Central Harlem. The line changed. 24th, 25th, and 26th Street used to be Kipps Bay. What are they now? They're part of Gramercy. So uh, you, the, yes, the real estate industry um, and the media properties who serve us or who help promote our business, they will also blur lines to, to, to get cachet into, into certain parts of neighborhoods. Gramercy is definitely a neighborhood where people are trying to grasp onto that Gramercy because Gramercy, in my opinion, is really, it's very tiny. And then you start getting over towards, you know, far second Avenue, it says Gramercy. It's like, no, that's not Gramercy. Absolutely, absolutely, and they're trying to rely. They they they're trying to rely on the on on the um, value of Gramercy. One hundred percent. You know, to 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 bring the value up where, where they are, and but but interesting, Jeff. Also, there are certain areas that people have fought new names. South Harlem. They wanted to call that Soha. And the old time Harlem residents really got up in arms. And so did some of the community groups. They weren't South Harlem. They were, they were part of Harlem. They didn't want that moniker because, because, because they, they were there for too long and they didn't need so hard to bring value to their neighborhood. They had value in their neighborhood. So Can I show a picture for a second? I wanna actually illustrate something that we've been talking about. This will be really interesting. Uh, screen host disabled participant screen sharing okay i was gonna <laughs> if you're a host so oh, oh um, there you go all right thanks uh cool all right can you see that yep okay that's 20th street at about second avenue looking east that big fuel tank that you see that would that's now the southwest corner of Peter Cooper Village. This, this now on maps is considered Gramercy. Back then it wasn't Gramercy. So to Roberto's point, um, lines change and people you know, wanna, wanna have that cachet. Although the iron grill work on some of those houses around the doors is really nice. But uh, <laughs> I don't know that it would have commanded the kind of money that uh, Gramercy Park would have even in the thirties. So let's talk a little bit about the style of living. So people started to move north to get a, to, to live differently and what style, like talk to me about that a little bit. Uh, well, people like to live where, you know, people with money like to live where people with money live. It, a little bit less so now, but you know, when, uh, you know, putting on the Ritz and people uh, really wanted to be amongst their, their class. And as neighborhoods changed uh, and evolved, people moved further north. You know, it happened, you know, you heard, you hear about, um, uh, the Rockefellers who lived in the 50s, you know, Rockefeller lived in the 50s, and then all of a sudden there were mansions being built in the 70s and Fifth Avenue, and then people left and moved up there. Uh, and so, you know, people, and another thing too was space. As, as people became richer, 
and could afford larger homes, uh, you know, you couldn't have the same size home uh, uh, on 4th Street, where the New York Merchants Museum is now, where the Treadwells lived, as you could uh, on a mansion on 54th Street where Rockefeller lived. And then, you know, as big as that house was, could it have been as big as the Carnegie Mansion? I don't know that it would have been as big as the Carnegie Mansion, you know. Um, so people like they, you know, people with a lot of money want to not just have more space, but they want to be known. And, and, and it's a, it becomes also an expression of who they are to, to aspire to, to bigger and better and to, and to nicer places. And of course, you also have the park, which was a very big part of how of, of why Fifth Avenue developed the way it did because of Central Park and Central Park West too. So let, let's talk about, so Michael, you have here, you wanted to talk about zoning. Let's talk so, about how that's had some influence. Okay, so, so as an example of, of zoning, you know, for those of you who work downtown, um, you are uh, specifically in Soho, you're, you're familiar with the AIR the artisan residence, okay? And um, the, the largest problem with getting, and, and there was a desire to get rid of artisan residence because the, the, the specific Soho area basically was designed, not designed, it became an area for artists. What happened were starving artists could not afford to live in Manhattan. And there were a lot of buildings that were falling apart in Soho. And the starving artists moved in and they used sweat, sweat equity, okay, to really build the buildings. I believe it was in the early 1960s. There was a fire in one of the buildings. The fire department believed that it was a vacant building because there wasn't supposed to be anybody living there. And there were, I think, 19 people who were killed in the fire because the fire department responded slowly. This is, they, they, they thought it was a vacant building. They didn't respond slowly, thinking that there were people in the building. These were squatters, in effect. They weren't supposed to be there, okay? So this is not about, you know, the fire department doing anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong, okay? And they were surrounded by a bunch of abandoned buildings, supposedly. And so what happened is that after the 19th, they found that the 19 people were killed in the fire. And this is why I, I say that sometimes it's the people who lead the government in terms of movement. That is when they decided that there were these people who were living in buildings and they had to legalize them somehow. But they didn't want to legalize it in terms of having just anybody move into the area. I can't tell you exactly why they didn't want to do that probably because they didn't have the, de the demographic for it yet, okay? But the starving artists were there. So what they did was they put into the zoning law the artisan residence rule. The artisan residence rule allowed you, if you were a fine artist, not a commercial artist, okay? You had to get a certificate from the cultural affairs department, okay? Qualifying you as a fine artist, and then you were able to live and work in those structures. If you've ever been, if you were in an old time loft in the 1970s, they had lathes. I mean, they had equipment that would shake the building. The only reason it didn't shake the building is because of the housing stock. Those buildings were built to be able to take that type of equipment. That's why the artists went there. Um, so they, they incorporated into the zoning law. And that's why it's been so difficult to get rid of the AIR. 
because every time you open up a, zem, a zoning resolution, anybody can ask for anything. If this had been just a separate rule, they could have repealed it like that. But there was a real hesitancy to get involved in zoning because they didn't want the community to say, well, I want this, I want that, I want the other thing. Is that true now? Are we going through that now? Because we just went through a, a, a major crisis that's caused people to say, we need less office space, more affordable housing in Manhattan. Are we gonna go through that again? Well, interestingly, John, you ask great questions. It's so to you, Roberto, but you, you, you really, you know, right now there is, there is talk about the class B and the class C office buildings in Midtown, especially you know um, outside of the, the the new zoning area for the Grand Central uh, Midtown East um, uh, rezoning, um, where they're thinking about making them into affordable housing. Um, thinking about, I shouldn't say they're thinking about. It. There's some talk about it, whether it will ever get off, you know. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that there's going to be a whole lot less conflict about it because they're not residential areas. The residents aren't going to get up in arms, okay, like they did on the Upper West Side when at the beginning of the pandemic, they moved homeless into the um, uh, Lucerne, yeah. okay? So there's going to be less of that. Whether the businesses will, you know, raise their voices or not, I can't tell you. But but there is a very strong possibility, John, that... that Yes, that it will occur that some of the commercial areas are going to bring in affordable housing. The question will be if the services come in and then what's what's the next step? What's the next step? Just like, you know, in the, in, in the 90s, you had city housing. In the 50s, you had the, you had city housing where the Westies were, you know, the, 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 the most re renowned gang. Okay, on 57th and 59th and, and, and 9th Avenue. Okay, um, I mean, it was, I mean, that's where, you know, you walk down, I mean, you got shot. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just like, you know, that's what, that was for sport. Um, and that's why it moved up and moved down and why the 90s got bad, you know. And it also has to do with housing stock. Areas get developed when housing stock is there. Why did Soho become Soho? Because those buildings were able to withstand what they were able to withstand. Why did Tribeca become a, 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 an area of large locks? Because the buildings were vacant and it had the footplate for a large loft, okay? Where are you gonna put a large loft on Columbus Avenue? Okay, the buildings, don't, the buildings aren't there for it and the zoning didn't allow. That's why you had most of the new condominiums on Broadway, because you had zoning that allowed taller buildings. Okay, you don't have, you didn't have it on Columbus Avenue. So it's also existing housing stock that governs where, you know, how, how areas develop. So you have, you have transportation, you have infrastructure in terms of not just transportation and 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 um but you also have infrastructure in terms of retail okay because in order for people who are who 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 have more than one person in a household who actually cook okay you need you you need retail you need supermarkets you need drugstores okay if you look at, at at murray hill if you look at madison avenue if you look at Le lexington avenue you can't find the supermarket does that impact, so 
I got two questions. One for Jeff is when he's taking these people on these tours of New York, what neighborhoods are resonating? What kind of questions are they asking? What are they curious about? And the other question is what kind of long lasting, what is the lack of infrastructure or the lack of supermarkets in, in Murray Hill due to the long standing values in a neighborhood like Murray Hill? But go ahead, Jeff, you start. Well, for, for, I do think there are supermarkets in Murray Hill, unlike Madison Avenue, Lexington Avenue. But, you know, um, uh, it's interesting, John, um, when I tell most people that I, I host walking tours, people think they're for real estate. They're actually not. Um, my walking tours, I don't give them, I host them. Uh, uh, the marketing model actually is like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I'm Mutual of Omaha and Joyce Gold is my Marlon Perkins. I mean, you know, the insurance guys didn't trap the cheat as Marlon did. That's the same thing with me. And um, uh, most of the people who come on my tours are actually not looking for real estate. They're just New Yorkers who love the city. And, you know, that's something that I've done. I've built up my brand connecting. I just don't help people buy and sell real estate in New York's great neighborhoods. I connect people to the great things about New York neighborhoods. And that's how, you know, I brand myself. So I get, I actually get very little, sorry to disappoint you with the question, but I get very few people who actually come on a tour looking for that neighborhood. And it takes me like four or five years to cycle through. So if someone waits for one of my tours to, to, to get a tour of uh, a neighborhood, they're going to be waiting a long time to do it. Uh, but I do it privately, of course. If someone is interested in neighborhood, you know, we look at real estate like any agent would do. Um, and I have a little extra flair that I can tell them something about the neighborhood as we're looking around. But you know something, John, about services, for example, yeah. like the financial district had no services in the sense of supermarkets and things like that. And it was fresh direct delivery, which allowed that to actually plant a seed and become what it was. And there's so much delivery now that it's not as essential to have a supermarket right there, but you, you know, you still need your convenience stores and your bodegas and things like that, because sometimes you just need to run out and just grab something. And Roberto, um, you're absolutely right. That is why there's, that's why those areas, okay. There's been a melding. That's why they have become more acceptable. Okay. Because of, of, of whether it's fresh direct, whether it's Amazon, you know, all of those things that weren't there 15 years ago. And my esteemed colleague, Jeff, I, 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 I'm going to disagree with you. If you take a look at 32nd to 40th Street, okay, from 3rd Avenue to 5th Avenue, find me a supermarket. You might find me one. You might find me one. Okay. So, and, and, and find me a dry cleaner. Okay. So, and that's, and, and, and those, and, and that's, you know, that's why you got, you have young people who walk up to work and they drop their dry cleaning. Okay. As they go along, because in their neighborhood, there isn't that dry clean. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I live, I, I live downtown. I live on 14th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. On one corner, there's a Dwayne Reed or Walgreens, excuse me. On the other corner, there's a CVS. Okay. I have four Starbucks within um, spinning distance. Okay. I have four dry cleaners within spinning distance. Okay. I have the 7th Avenue subway and the 8th Avenue subway. Okay. On my corners. Okay. I have the 14th Street um, across town bus. Now that they don't allow car traffic on 14th Street, um, now it is one of the fastest bus routes. Prior to that, it was the slowest bus route in New York City. Um, that's that, and that's and that's part of the reason, uh, along with the fact 
that the meatpacking district had the infrastructure and the meatpacking meatpackers were moving out, but because it had some built-in infrastructure. Can I just point, make an observation? Last week, nobody said the word supermarket for a whole hour. They talked about short ceilings and high ceilings, pre-war and post-war. And nobody, and, and now what I'm hearing, the most important driver of value is that you have two drugstores, four Starbucks, two subway stops, and a fast bus route. John, John, do you know why people live happened? in Manhattan? John, do you know why people live in Manhattan? No, not anymore. There's I only one word. There's only, there's only, and, 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 and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove to you that I am correct. People live in Manhattan because of convenience, okay? That's what and I'm when learning. Convenience went out at the beginning of the pandemic. It did, it removed the reason for people to, to say, I want to live in Manhattan. When I talk about convenience, you know, John, we don't stop you from coming in to go to the theater, okay? You're allowed, you're allowed to come in, okay? But it's gonna take you an hour to get home. It's going to take me 15 minutes to walk home. Okay. Who in, who in their right mind would pay $2,000 a square foot to live in a thousand square foot space? I mean, who? Who? The person who works from 6 a.m. Till, till, till 7 at night, who wants to roll out of bed. It's convenience. People will tell you that they live here for culture. They live here for restaurants. No. Nobody says that people from New Jersey and Connecticut can't come into the restaurants in New York. No, it's because, because of the convenience of the culture, because of the convenience of the restaurants, because of the convenience of Central Park, the largest backyard in, in, in the country, in the world. Okay, it's not, it's, so, so that's why I don't talk about six, 10 foot ceilings. Okay, I, I talk about, I talk about what, what, and you know, the biggest, word lately in, 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 in housing, lifestyle, okay? People don't even wanna to walk to the gym anymore. The gym's gotta be in the place. Forget about, I mean, it can't be down the block. I, have I remember when I was working, people wanted the garage in their building. I said, there's a garage around the block. They said, no, 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 sorry. It's gotta be in the building. I wanted to ask about that. Nobody said the word parking yet at all. And I would no sooner try and park in your neighborhood then, you know, let's forget about it. I'm definitely going downtown. I'm taking the train. But if you don't I want to go to Roberto's neighborhood, there's probably some parking. Yeah. You don't really need your, I, I have parking, but it's, I usually take a cab to my parking because I don't use, I don't ever use my car. You know, I use my car to get out of the city or if I got to move something around, but that's about it. Because that's the other thing is you can go downtown, you can have five drinks and you could just get in a cab and go home. You have Forget to about a cab. It's, it's an Uber. Yeah, you, don't have to, you don't have to go out and raise your hand for that yellow thing anymore. You just hit the app. And but, you know, parking. Very interesting. Again, John, you know, most of most of the outdoor parking lots, if not all, I think there might still be one or two in the city. Um, but most of them, for a couple of reasons, OK, were all developed. What, there were two there were two things that were developed in the city. Firehouses that they had closed and parking garages. What do firehouses and parking garages have in common? A curb cut. There are no curb cuts allowed in New York any longer. 
You may not put in a new curb cut, as far as I know. I might be wrong, but I don't believe I am. No, you can. Okay. Put, you actually can put a curb cut in. You can't put more than one curb cut. If you have a house and okay. uh, that doesn't have a garage, and you can get a carport, the can, building can, department. Can you do? Can the, you do it though? For can you do it for multi for, for multi uh, housing? Can you do it for an apartment building? Well, but if there's no garage already in the building, then why would you? You know, you, you I don't think you could put a carport in an apartment building. Uh, right. No. So, but but those would develop because first of all, the the plot of land was there. Okay. There was nothing on it to demolish. Okay. Um, so it it gave you it gave you the ability to to build. And that's why a lot of the parking lots, there were a number of parking lots in, in Chelsea, and I don't know exactly why, other than it was a mixed-use mixed, mixed use area, and maybe there was a need for it. Um, but most, but almost every outdoor parking lot is gone. They're almost all gone. Sure. All right, Jeff, what do you, where, what neighborhood do you live in, Jeff? I live in, you see my little arrow there? No. I live I, right, I, no? No. Um, I live almost in the that Please. north, that upper left uh, blue light blue of East Harlem. Uh, oh, I live on Madison and One Thirtieth. And what do you love about your neighborhood the most? Well, you know, I sometimes get asked because you know, aside from my tours, I have this radio show about neighborhoods. What neighborhood do I love the most? And I saw all of them, because if there are people who love living in a place and it's New York and they're willing to to set up a home there for whatever reason. I love that neighborhood. What I love about East Harlem is that it was, uh, uh, well, it was East Harlem when I moved in now in Central Harlem. You see what I could do, what a, what a Brown Harris agent could do to, to raise the, the specter of a neighborhood when they move in and they buy. Um, I love that it's, uh, it was affordable. I got a really good deal. Um, neighborhoods that are considered fringe, they're the first to, to crash if there's a financial crisis and they take the longest to come back. Um, I bought this place uh, a number of years after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. I like the fact that it's convenient. I have um, three subway lines within um, uh, an 18-minute walk, two subway Jeff, lines. can you repeat that word again? Subway lines, walk. No, the word before that, convenient. Convenience, yes. <laughs> no, it is convenient and it's, and it's affordable. But, you know, personally, there's something else that I love about this neighborhood, not as much anymore because the... Uh, uh, because the neighborhood's changing, but that's the that's the wonderful thing about New York. I've spent a lot of time in the South. Um, I could put the accent on. I used to be a part-time Southern Louisianan, and um, one of the things I love about Harlem, and I didn't I didn't quite realize it until I moved here, is that most of the people who used to live here, their parents or grandparents were from the South, and so even though it's New York, it's not the New York where I grew up in Brooklyn. I mean, the the people who lived in Harlem were not like Brooklyn Dodgers kind of people and fans who grew up in Coney Island. I mean, it was a very, you know, it's New York, but a very different kind of New York. And Harlem and East Harlem has that, well, I, technically, I don't live in Spanish Harlem. Um, a lot of people conflate East Harlem with Spanish Harlem. Uh, Spanish East Harlem is below 125th Street. It's east, east of Madison Avenue. I'm in kind of the Harlem part of East Harlem. Uh, so it's, it, it's more like Central Harlem. Um, but, you know, the variety of restaurants um, and also for me, too, the fact that I'm a five minute walk from the 125th Street station, you know, I can get into the suburbs. I can visit friends in Connecticut. Yes, John, I do have friends in Connecticut. And, in <laughs> uh, you know, I can I, I, I can be in Cold Spring in an hour and 10 minutes, you know, and just walk. Literally, it's like taking the subway for me. 
you know, and that's very different from a friend I have who lives in the Upper West Side who doesn't have the same access to, you know, north of the city. But that's just one of the things I like about railroad. Convenience, Michael. Yes, it's convenience to, convenience to things that I say I want to be conveniently close to. But it's also close enough where, it, you know, it takes me a half an hour. It takes me less time to take the subway to get to our office on the Upper West Side than it did when I, when I lived in the East Village. That took 45 minutes. We have we have the neighborhoods on the screen. We have you live in the East Harlem. Roberto lives on the Upper West Side, and uh, Michael lives down in the Village. So let's play the game. We'll go through the neighborhoods, and I just want you to each all each of you three say the one word that comes to mind first. We've been doing this for the last several weeks. This word association. So when I say Upper West Side, what do you say, Jeff? Classiness. <laughs> Michael? Convenient. Or transportation. How about you, Roberto? Home. This is. All right. So, what do you say when I give you uh, the East Village? Fun, Mike? fun, fun. I used to live there. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Young. Beatnik. Beatnik Young. and fun. All right. Young. How about Tribeca, Michael? Family. To me, it's a profound neighborhood, Tribeca. Profound? Oh, I need more words. Um, uh, it's old and substantial. Um, it has a ton of history. I mean, I, this is more than a word, but uh, uh, Tribeca actually was uh, uh, the neighborhood we know even before Soho was. So, you know, what a lot of people like in Soho started in Tribeca because it was a it was in the lower part of the city. I I I, I love I adore Tribeca. So Adoration. Somebody, How's that? Adoration. Somebody in the chat room just said unique, which <laughs> which I think is a very good word for it. I yeah. like profound. That's pretty good. Roberto, you get to weigh in on Tribeca. I would just say celebrity, and only because a lot of them kind of go there to disappear. Got it. All right. All right, Roberto, you get to pick the next three. Go ahead. It's a subset here. I want to say Sutton Place. Ooh. <laughs> Michael? Stuffy. <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> Stuffy and exclusive. Man, they can't shake it. Go I, ahead, would, I would say remote on that. <laughs> it's just very, so very good. Very good, Roberto. Absolutely. Uh, Chinatown. Incredibly colorful. Winding streets. Diverse. Food. Come on, somebody say food, please. <laughs> that was too easy, John, food. So I mean, go, go ahead, Roberto. I love this. <laughs> Here, this is, this is, a, is an offset. Brooklyn. Mm. Well, that come on, Roberto. That's not a neighborhood. That's a bloody borough. It's, it's, it's I know, square but, miles. But, I mean, but. But, you know, do you remember in Seinfeld when they, he was like, Kramer, they just had to go to the east side and he was like, Jerry, that's all the way up on the Upper East Side. You know, <laughs> now it's like, that's all the way over in Brooklyn. It's the same thing. So what does that, Brooklyn, what would you have said about Brooklyn in 2000? And what do you say about it now? A four letter word, the same for both times. Real, I'm a native Brooklynite, so. Uh, It's not the same Brooklyn uh, of like Welcome Back Cotter, no? 
No. Now I would say, now I would say expensive. In 2000, I would say, what? I would say inconvenient, just because you cannot maneuver around there too easily. Like you can. You can. That's ridiculous. I mean, it depends no, where in Brooklyn you, you are. You, can't, you have to either take an Uber or something. You can't walk. You can't jump in the subway to go from, from one part to another part very easily. It's just not, it's just not set up that way. It is. You, you like know, the suburb. It's like the suburb. Take you on my tour of Brooklyn sometime. It absolutely it, is. You have you have more subway lines going through a number of neighborhoods near they're downtown. They're all going Brooklyn. in the same direction. They don't no. go north south. They do. Well, then they don't do a good. As John would say, they don't do a good enough job of marketing it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no. exactly. oh no, I think the Brooklyn. I think the Brooklyn marketing department is working overtime. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you, you're absolutely correct. Not under transportation, though. <laughs> well, also, Roberto, it depends where in Brooklyn you like. If you want to go from uh, and take public transportation and go from Canarsie to Sunset Park, yeah, it's going to be. Where? It's going to be. <laughs> but, um, you know, to, to most of the places that I go in Brooklyn for my business or my life, it's, you know, pretty, it, it's like, it's like a hub and spoke, you know, more because so than the you decide, Because you've decided, I can do, I can work with this client because he wants to be right on this subway line and it's convenient. If they wanted to be in a different location, you'd be referring that to somebody else because it's inconvenient. Actually, but only I I work in two thirds of the borough. So the third of the Why borough. Why not I, the other third? Because I actually don't have the expertise to uh, and the detailed knowledge to work in some of those places. And a good part of the agents are not Redney agents, and they either don't co-broke readily. It's not on our. It's not on the RLS. Where the commissions are really low, you know, it's the same thing in Queens. I work to take another New Orleans phrase. In Queens, I work in the sliver by the river, the four neighborhoods from Hunters Point, Long Island City, Steinway, Ditmars, you know, uh, Astoria. Uh, the reason I don't work west of that is because east of that is because it's uh, Long Island and Queens MLS. They don't pay a lot of commission, and it's it's like pulling teeth to to get them to agree to it. So it, it's for those reasons that I don't work in the southern third of the borough, even though I grew up there but I work in most of it. All right, there was a, a mention before the show on Urban Digs and Greg Hines inventory report as resources. So I'm wondering why did you mention those, Michael? What, 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 would, I, what would I learn if I had been reading Greg Hines inventory report lately and Urban Digs? Okay, Jeff, can you share the screen that you and I spoke about before? Michael, for you, almost anything, and you know it. Thank you, sir. So Greg Himes' inventory report is, is the, the beginning of it is about all of Manhattan. I suggest that you don't even look at that. And the reason I suggest that you don't look at that is because of our the beginning parts of our discussion. Manhattan is made up of very many neighborhoods and each neighborhood is very different. And the inventory in, e in each neighborhood is very different. And the absorption rate in each neighborhood is very different. And what's going on is very different. And so is the size of apartments. This is the Upper West Side. And the reason that I'm using the Upper West Side is that I'm most familiar with it. But there's another reason why I'm using it. 
because everybody thought that everybody ran away from New York and everybody believes, well, not today necessarily, but people believe that Manhattan is still possibly a buyer's market. And in certain sections of Manhattan, the numbers will tell you that it is a buyer's market. A, the, if you look at the number of listings, it also tells you when you look at Greg's report about different areas, whether you are looking at Midtown East, whether you are looking at the Upper West Side, whether you're looking at the Upper East Side, it tells you what the housing stock in an area is, okay? So as an example, if you look at the number of studio condominiums on the Upper West Side, there are 38 listings and um, oh, somebody just posted something and it's blocking my, um, how many studio listings are there in co-ops? Can somebody see that? Oh, 75. 75. 75. So there are 113 studio listings on the Upper West Side. Okay, when I look at the Upper East Side, okay, there you are- gonna, You want me to get that on, Michael? I'm sorry? You want me to get that screen up for you? No, that's, no, that's okay. okay. I'm sure people will believe me. There are 187, okay? 113 versus 187, okay? That's a difference of 74, okay? That's almost 50%, all right? If you take a look at Midtown East, Murray Hill that we were speaking about, there are 219 studio listings, there are 191 three bedrooms. On the Upper West Side, there are 290 three bedrooms. It tells you what the housing stock is. It tells you exactly what's going on. Greg also does month over month and then year over year. April in almost every category, you have more listings in every in condos and co-ops. You have more listings than you did a year ago. I thought the market was on fire. John, John, it's not only the See, number of listings; it's the rate at which that category of property is selling through over a six-month average. Wait, 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 John. In February or in January, you could have tripled that number. Okay. Okay. If you take a look, okay, um, um, Jeff, are you able to scroll that down so I can see the totals on cooperatives? Sure. Co-ops on the, uh, yeah. It's okay. almost unfair to compare it against April 2020. April 2020 couldn't have been considered a normal inventory. Absolutely. I mean, he just happened. I mean, what I am saying, what, I, what I'm saying is that a year from now, you will be able to look at this, okay? And you will have a year over year and you will have a month over month. So it gives you good data to talk to your buyers and your sellers about. A, the month's supply is called the absorption rate. And just so that you know, basically from zero to six months, absorption is a seller's market. Six to nine months is a balanced market. More than nine months is a buyer's market. In every category other than three bedrooms in terms of condos, okay, we are either in a seller's market or pretty much a balanced market. So that guy it, I was telling you about, just as an aside, so the guy I, I'm talking about who has a three-bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side that's currently not selling and feels badly about it. The first inclination is it's mispriced. But when I study this report, I see 
that there's 9.5 uh, months supply of co-ops. There's 15 months of supply of three bedrooms. That that it's not his fault. He's com he's competing with two. Wait, you're looking at the upper west side. The upper east side is worse. Okay. Oh, the okay. upper east side, the upper east side for three bedrooms has a 14.8, okay, for uh, condominiums, but a 15.2 for cooperatives. But John, 15, you're saying 15.2 for, for 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 cooperatives, but it has, okay, um, it has a total of 642. Wait a minute, that that can't be. I just I just put the east side figures oh, on my I'm, put the wait, I'm sorry. Jeff, Jeff, put, okay, so wait a second. Leave that. Leave that. Okay. So so there are 242 condominium three bedrooms, okay, on the upper east side. And there are 400 co-ops, three bedrooms plus. On the upper west side, there are 167 three bedrooms. There are 233 more three bedroom apartments listed on the Upper East Side than there is on the Upper West Side. Economics is a very simple thing. Economics is supply and demand. I have 400 choices. I have 167 choices on the Upper West Side. Well, what's also interesting is it's across East Side and West Side, co-ops and condos, all four are a buyer's market. And so he is quadruply Screwed. If you are desperate to move a three bedroom, three plus bedroom apartment. But he's also, reason, John, he's also in a condo. Right. That guy's in a condo. But the other thing is you said these are these are factors that he can't control. Right. But he, the thing that he can control is where he prices. Exactly. He's also exactly. got another just, problem. He's also got another problem in that he's in a condo. There's new construction. I guarantee you that his his building's amenities are not equal to new construction amenities. So he's in competition. Now, new construction is going to be a little bit more expensive. I'm not, you know, you know, probably, you know, that that's a given. But but a building that was built 20 years ago can't compete in terms of what it is with a building that's built today. So especially he's now, got, especially he's now, he's got problem on top of problem on top of problem. Along with the fact that where is he on in on the Upper East Side? If he's east of Second Avenue, it's a lot different than being west of Third Avenue. All right, we're getting a little far afield from neighborhoods, but I did want to point no, out. No, actually, th th this is very relevant to neighborhoods, and I'll tell you okay. why. Um, uh, this, as I say it, is as I then this is just you know anecdotal for me and other people. It's not based on numbers, but I think the numbers will bear this out. Um, the the submarkets that have been hit the worst in the pandemic. I call them um, the apartments that uh, mostly would be bought by families with multiple age school children in high rise Manhattan. That's the Upper East Side, the Upper West Side, Midtown East and Midtown West. Um, you know, I've, and to Michael's point about condominiums uh, in older condos, you also now have, and we've seen this several times on uh, uh, a, a round table, we had a, a panel on the Upper West Side that Anna hosted on Tuesday uh, and, and uh, Greg Heim speaks once a month to us um, are that condominiums now, new developments are giving all these concessions. So for example, the all, I've had 10 listings in the last six months. The only one that I haven't sold yet is a three bed pre-war condominium on the Upper West Side that has an average inventory of 15.6 months. And this morning I had a conversation with my client and I, happened, and, and I got new information um, yesterday on a, on, a, on a Brown Harris call. 
And I said, look, you know, there, there are all these developers who are giving these concessions. That's who you're competing with now. The people can buy condominiums with, with, with all these amenities and you're priced at a rate that now is high compared to what we thought it would be. So now we had a price reduction. So Roberto is right. What, what your friend can change is he can change his asking price. Price ultimately overcomes all objections, you know, given whatever marketing you have, who the buyers are, what the neighborhood is like, what the amenities are and not in the building, price will overcome all objection. Everything has a price point. The, the reason I wanted to discuss Greg's report, okay, and okay, Urban Digs is a website which gives you tremendous data. Also in, in New York, uh, analytics in resource, okay? And I assume that in the Connecticut market, you have a ton of analytics on the MLFs. Yes. So. The, de the the way to get, you know, I, I have a favorite saying, don't tell anybody anything, show them, okay? Because they're not going to believe us anyway. But if you show them and if you leave them with the documentation and you let them study it themselves when they, when they have the time, I can make numbers sing and dance. I can't make them lie, Okay. But I can talk to you about about absolute numbers. I can talk to you about statistics. I can, I, you know, I can I can do that. But the numbers are the numbers. And when and when you take a look at a fifteen point six month supply of inventory, and you take a look at a four month supply in studios, you understand what's going on in the marketplace. And that's the way you get sellers who who really do want to sell. They don't want to reduce their price yet, but they really do want to sell. Come to reality. And that's the way you get buyers, okay, who think they can get a steal for a studio. And you say, listen, I got 13 of them to show you. And, and data matters. So that's why I, that, that, that I always fall back. I always so fall what are we using urban digs for? Have you got urban digs? Can you put it on the screen? Uh, no, I'm, no, but it's, it's urbandigs.com is, okay. is what the website is. Okay, and it's a, it's a subscription-based, um, you know, um, uh, service, but it is well worth it. And if you want to join, I, I have a 20% discount coupon. Email me, I'll give you the code for the 20% discount, and you can get a 20% a discount on, on the service. But it provides an amazing amount of information. I, how would I know that that if you are if you have three price reductions that you that you that you sell at eighty seven percent of asking price, and if you have no price reductions, you sell at ninety six percent? It's the data that they compile. I mean, right. if that's not convincing to a seller, I don't know what is. I got another question. One of the words you used was anchors that make up a neighborhood. It occurs to me you've already talked about some of the changing uh, priorities uh, now that we can get uh, HelloFresh and Amazon. Can you talk about some of the anchors that the emerging anchors, that are things that are becoming important over the last 10, maybe 20 years that uh, people are seeking? It occurs to me that the High Line is a, is a new anchor. It's a 21st century anchor. People say, I wanna be near the High Line. What else comes to mind from any of the three of you uh, or, or anybody on the show here? Um, what are the current anchors that people are asking for? 
I don't know that the High Line is necessarily an anchor for people to buy in that neighborhood. Most of the people who go to the High Line don't live in West Chelsea. <laughs> I think they, uh, it's a tourist test. It's, you know, it's a destination. I mean, it looks interesting. You know, now I got to tell you, I had a, I had a listing uh, in, in a property adjacent to the High Line and the window looked at right out. And that was a big turnoff for people to came to the apartment to be a fishbowl that people could see into their home from a public street, you know, from a pub, even though it was pretty to look at. Um, I think people want, you know, mostly people want what they've wanted for generations. They want a place that enhances their lifestyle for convenience. They want to be able to go out to eat. They want to be able to go out to drink. They want to be able to have retail services that are convenient for them. Um, people are willing to travel a little bit to culture and transportation to get to the theater, to go to music. Um, but they want those two drug stores. <laughs> John, I, John, you, you, you're very astute because at the end of the day, okay, the fact of the matter is, is you know, there's an area um, in, in Brooklyn, Red Hook, and Red Hook is landlocked. And Red Hook was never, it, it could never really get, get off the, the, the stick. But because of the change in the way that people live, because of Fresh Direct, because of Amazon, because of all of those things, it has it is starting to, to, to grasp some some life. I think that the anchors have changed in people's minds. I think that transportation remains an, an anchor. You need convenience to get around the city. Like even Jeff after said, Uber, it, even after Uber. Well, and the, the problem, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you know, an Uber from the Upper East Side to the Upper West Side office is going to cost you thirty five bucks. You know, the subway is going to cost you you know two seventy five. You know, so people like that, you know, like the idea of that, uh, of being able to take public transportation. Um, but yes, but but to, but yes, the fact is that you're correct. The fact is that the upper, that the lower east side has been advantaged by those additional things. Absolutely. You no longer have to worry about the fact of getting a yellow cab that might not be coming down your block. You just hit the app and you get your Uber. So you are absolutely correct. Or but your I city bike. That, I'm sorry. For your city bike. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, but transportation, but I think that lifestyle has become more of an anchor. What Jeff just, be, they want restaurants. They want, they want lifestyle, okay? They want the, the gym in the neighborhood. They want, you know, those things that, they, that make them, that, that, you know, there's a three-letter word that I've learned. It's called fun. Fun's a good thing. You know, I spent, I'm going to be 68 in July. I spent my entire life working. I only knew a four-letter word. It's called work. I've adopted a three-letter word, fun. People like it. John, it, They look for it. John, you know, I would argue that the anchors are actually muting in intensity because of the convenience of everything, that that's why Brooklyn is okay because you don't have to necessarily be close to something in Manhattan. And I would say that actually the neighborhoods in some ways are losing, they're losing a little bit of identity, each and every one of them. And they're blending in a little, little more because you can live anywhere. And that's what's creating many other neighborhoods. And that was what would put a little bit of downward pressure on price just because new neighborhoods were cropping up. So the demand in each and every particular neighborhood started to slightly dilute. But just this, just now, we just had in our meeting, is it just this month, there are more people now coming into Manhattan that are leaving. 
from, from the past year. So when we had our show on Palm Beach, it was no doubt in anybody's mind that Palm Beach is it. And if you can't afford Palm Beach, you move to West Palm Beach. There's no, there's no doubt in anybody's mind. Palm Beach is it. So, but when I hear that the Upper East Side was it, and then it was the Upper West Side was it, and still is for a lot of people, but you guys all uh, spoke in hushed tones about the Lower East Side and how expensive it is in Brooklyn and how expensive it is. So it looks like the uh, center of, of uh, uh, excitement has been moving around Manhattan for the last 50 years. Well, just something about Brooklyn, just to clarify, you know, Brooklyn's not like a neighborhood. Brooklyn is 64 square miles. It's not ubiquitous. It is as diverse and different in real estate prices and services and kinds of communities. Then, you know, so there's no Brooklyn. I mean, you know, when, when a lot of people think of Brooklyn, they think of downtown and brownstone Brooklyn. But a lot more people have been making homes and creating homes, you know, beyond the, the, the mile and a half from the East River and the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, so it's it's really not ubiquitous. Um, Again, John, you hit a very good you you hit a very good point. You know, there we all know that there are only three things that matter in real estate: location, location, location. And about 15 years ago, I said to people, I said the issue in Manhattan now is location, location, location is everywhere. That's why that that that's what what has occurred. That's why the upper that's why the Lower East Side, which was you know called Alphabet City. Okay, because you had Avenue A, B, C, and D. Okay, um, nobody, you know, nobody wanted to live there. Well, now everybody wants to live there. Um, you know, Chelsea was a, was a live work area. Okay, it was a mixed use area. Okay, now it's a residential area. Okay, you know, um, and and you can go from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, and <clears throat> and and location, location, location is now ubiquitous. It 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 is all over the city, um, and each of the neighborhoods have a different flavor. Um, and, and it brings, you know, it brings, it brings people to the area that they feel most comfortable in. You know, if you're single and, 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 and hip, you know, you're going to be, you know, in Hell's Kitchen. Okay. Or, you know, or on the Lower East Side, you know, if you're, you know, working for a law firm in Midtown and you're single, you know, you're going to be in Murray Hill, you know, and of course I'm generalizing whenever you generalize, you're going to be wrong. So I'm not saying that every single person who works at a law firm lives in Murray Hill, but, but, but you don't have, okay, people who are sending their kids to private school, usually living in Murray Hill. The housing stock is not there. The convenience is not there. Okay. Um, somebody put into the chat room, the Upper East Side is three blocks more wide. And, and yes, and that's, and partially that's why until you had the Second Avenue subway, that's why nobody wanted to east to, to live east of Second Avenue because the subway was on Lexington Avenue. And if you lived on First Avenue, you had a four block walk in February when it was 27 degrees and you didn't want to do it. And that's why First Avenue was less expensive than Third Avenue. It's 5.06. We should wrap We're it up. We're just getting started, John. Come I'm on. Going the heck out of this. Um, but what I am realizing is I'm more confused than ever. I've been watching the center of, of, of excitement move around Manhattan for the last hour. I've been watching each of these neighborhoods is desirable for a different reason. And it keeps changing. And it depends in large part on the marketing department uh, in Chelsea working overtime and, and Lower East Side. And those those that poor marketing department on the Upper East Side, they got to get they, they got to get going. It's like the Mets, you know, it's time. 
so I don't know. Can we draw any conclusions in the if we confused hour? you, if we confused you, we achieved exactly what we wanted to do. Mm. <laughs> Good. Conclusion is that you absolutely need a broker who understands what's going on and how the life is maneuvering around and what you can do in every single one of these different neighborhoods. And you know, people need people just need help. If you're coming from outside of the city, you just it is now just spreading all over the place and you can live anywhere and live a very, very convenient life. I love that as a conclusion. I was about to make the mistake of my life. I was gonna overpay for a three plus bedroom on the Upper East Side with a view of the High Line and all those damn tourists. And I am not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna go find a good broker and he's gonna hook me up with Greg's inventory report, right? Is that, is that what I learned? Yeah, John. I I also have a, a departing departing comment, a final comment. You know, and this is one of the reasons why I love doing my programming on the tours and the show. Everybody, we live. I, I I'm almost going to use an expletive, but I'm not. We live in the most incredible place on the entire planet for a whole bunch of reasons, and it's it's the neighborhoods of this city. And the boroughs of the city manifest that. They manifest the size, the diversity, the change. I mean, New York is a, is a breathing, evolving organism. It probably has changed faster consistently than any other place, not only in the United States. Well, I'll say in the U.S. I mean, you know. But so, you know, and, and it, it, it's not just fascinating, but it's also a real gift to be able to, to show this to people, to bring this to people, to, for us to be the experts to help guide people in this incredible place that we're in. So, you know, I also, you know, on, as far as neighborhoods go, John and Roberto, I'm really grateful that you asked me uh, to join Michael in this and you, but you know, New York, it's an amazing place to be in this business. It really is. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you both so much for coming and providing your insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you all our viewers. I enjoy the heck out of the chat uh, window and all the suggestions. We're definitely going to have to go look at Westchester uh, next. So and Don't forget the Bronx. We didn't talk about the Bronx, but... <laughs> that place you go through to get to Westchester? No, remember the Bronx is up, right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, the Bronx thank and you, Westchester everybody. coming soon. Thank, thank you, everybody. You. Bye. Bye. Bye.